This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, November 6, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Parker Owens, Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenk are working from back in Connecticut. Adrian Zulueta is in California. I'm Buster Olney, working from my home in Montana. This episode of the Baseball Tonight podcast is presented by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers professional-grade supplies and solutions made for every industry, backed by product experts. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. A great World Series parade the other day down in the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth area in Arlington. Uh, at the end of the regular season, you'll remember, when the Astros edged out the Rangers to win the American League West, this is what Alex Bregman had to say to kick off the Houston celebration. A lot of people were wondering what it was going to be like if the Strohs didn't win the division. I guess we'll never know. So they went crazy. And then at the World Series parade, here's what Corey Seager, the understated Corey Seager, had to say after the Rangers won the World Series. But I just got one thing to say. You know, everybody was wondering what would happen if the Rangers didn't win the World Series. I guess we'll never know. Wow. Taylor, how about that? Corey Seager oh, I love throwing it. down. <laughs> oh, I love the, the blood rivalry here. It's the, I mean, this is going to be great for years to come, Buster. We're really setting the stage nicely. You know, I think, you know, privately, and I haven't asked him the question, privately probably enjoyed that was Alex Bregman. You know, oh, I think he yeah. probably got a smile out of it, you know, to, he- to hear that from Corey Seager. Both those guys, uh, I'm sure we'll have a laugh about it the next time they play against each other. All right. We have a great podcast today. Travis Jankowski is part of the Rangers championship is going to join us. We'll be talking with David Schoenfield, with Sarah Langs, with Todd Radom. We have the last quiz of the year. Uh, so a lot to get to today. Uh, we start with some news and notes. The Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw, uh, announced in recent days that he had shoulder surgery and he's hoping for a summer return. Dave Schoenfield's got distinct thoughts about what that means and the chances of Kershaw coming back. The Chicago White Sox declined their 2024 option on Tim Anderson. They actually tried to trade him. Uh, he was set to make through their option $14 million and they could not find a taker. So they gave him the buyout, $1 million, and he's become a free agent. Justin Turner declined his $13.4 million player option with the Red Sox. Uh, and so he becomes a free agent. A lot of people connecting Turner possibly with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Boston turned down its $11 million option on right-handed Corey Kluber. Marcus Stroman, as expected, opted out of his deal with the Chicago Cubs. We got news over the weekend that the Cincinnati Reds did not pick up the 2024 option on Joey Votto's deal. Uh, they gave the Cincinnati legend a $7 million buyout. Instead, Joey had some very gracious things to say on X coming out and, and thanking the fans. He was not surprised when he met with reporters or, or spoke with reporters. Uh, he just mentioned that, you know, he hadn't uh, hit that well the last couple of years and the Reds didn't pick up his option. He's not feeling offended by that. Uh, left-handed Eduardo Rodriguez opted out of the remaining years of his deal with the Detroit Tigers. He'd been set to make $49 million over the next three years. The Angels declined a $9 million option on infielder Eduardo Escobar and a $7.5 million option on left-hander Aaron Loop. Mark Canna was traded by the Milwaukee Brewers to the Detroit Tigers for a fringe pitching prospect. Andrew Heaney 
who just won a World Series with the Rangers, exercised his $13 million option to stay with Texas. The White Sox also declined, by the way, the $15 million option on closer Liam Hendricks, uh, who is not expected to pitch until the end of the 2024 season at the earliest after having Tommy John surgery. And the Miami Marlins have hired Peter Bendix, who had been the general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, to run their baseball operations. You remember Kim Ang was the general manager uh, through the 2023 season. The Marlins made the playoffs for the first time in a full season in 20 years, and they decided to shove aside Kim and bring in a head of baseball operations. Well, moving forward, that will be Peter Bendix. Kim Ang, I know from communicating with her, she's just kind of taking it day by day to see what she wants to do for next year. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, I'll just uh, once again thank our our friends at Granger who've been with us all season long with their their ones who get it done feature. Uh, love that they're sponsoring the show today. Uh, guys who get it done, that would be Pete Thamel and Reese Davis on the College Game Day podcast. Uh, a lot of action in college football this weekend. A couple of top five scares. No one really toppling over yet, but definitely setting the stage for a little bit of uh, college football playoff chaos um, if things kind of hold true. So check out the College Game Day podcast. That's with Reese, Pete, and Ryan McGee today. You can watch it on YouTube. And I'm guessing you probably talked about the fact that Vanderbilt has now lost eight straight coin tosses. Like the, the odds of that happening are just insane. And, and I think it reflects what's happening on the field as well, Taylor. Buster, I think, you know, I was thinking about this with Maryland football this week. Vanderbilt, uh, Maryland, we, they should liquidate their their football programs or like put in like the minimum amount of effort and just spend all that extra money on basketball because no. the other Next teams are going to make the it. year for Vanderbilt in football. We will, uh, we will uh, be going for a national title. Oh my God! I, I want to, I want to burn down uh, Maryland Stadium right now. <laughs> so I'm glad you're <laughs> feeling positive about it. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Travis Jankowski was among the Rangers who won the World Series last week. He and Baseball Tonight are presented by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers professional grade supplies and solutions made for every industry and backed by product experts. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. And you know who got it done? Travis Jankowski, World Series champion. How cool is that, Travis? Oh, it's a dream come true. You know, it, uh, after that parade, it finally kind of hit me like, holy shoot, we did it. You know, um, <laughs> we did it as a team and there's, uh, there's no one out there who can take that away from us. So I'm just going to bounce around a little bit, but you mentioned the, the parade. Tell me, give me some memories and, and, and sites that you're always going to be have burned in your memory from, uh, from that time. Boy, I'll tell you what, the uh, the amount of people there was insane. You know, I think they said that there were close to 700,000 people. Um, and that's the thing, too. It's like, wow, you know, this win meant so much to so many people that they came out and supported us. I guess they were lining up at like 3 a.m. for the parade. Um, but no, that sitting in the bed of that truck with my family, you know, my kids, my wife, um, you know, having some beers thrown at us to catch and to chug, uh, that was something that, to me, that's why you play this game. You know, everybody wants that parade. Um, so, yeah, I just can't thank Arlington, Dallas, Fort Worth area enough for coming out, all the people there and supporting us. Tell me about some of the conversations in the bed of the truck. 
uh, <laughs> that you, you're having with your family as this is going on and things that they're pointing out, things that you're pointing out to them? Yeah. So um, the conversations weren't anything too extreme. You know, I think we were all kind of in shock. Um, <laughs> my five-year-old was a little bit scared for the first half of it, riding in the back of a truck. He wanted a seatbelt on. Um, but uh, but other than that, um, I remember looking at people climbing trees in the middle of trees. I remember people on roofs, uh, people climbing, um, you know, red light towers. It was a uh, it, it was like a scene from a movie to me, you know, um, like I said, I don't think there were too many conversations. It was just, oh, my gosh, is this real life? It's <laughs> so cool. Uh, so I, you were a part of what I'm going to call the greatest prediction of 2023 by my colleague Eduardo Perez, who came up to you before game four. If you can relate that story, because, you know, we most of the predictions, as you know, are idiots like me saying, like, the Padres are going to win the World Series this year. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the, the postseason, they had the Phillies beating the Astros in the World Series. That obviously turned out really smart. Uh, but Eduardo nailed it in his conversation with you, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, he must have a crystal ball. I'll tell you what. He, uh, so even before game four, when he came up to me, he came up to me in game two at home. And, uh, you know, I love Eduardo. Went up, shook his hand, said, how you doing? He said, hey, he goes, you're going to have a big moment. He goes, you are going to have a big moment in this World Series. And, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, like, all right, you know, we're friends. You're giving me, you know, the hype speech. Um, but the way he said it was kind of different, like something was going on. Like uh, I was like, yeah, it'll probably be a stolen base or maybe I'll score from second on a single, you know. Um, and then before game four, after Adolis went down, you know, uh, it was one of those things where he came up and he's like, hey, remember that moment? It's now, you know, make the most of it. Don't be nervous. He said, just do me one favor. When you get out on that field, realize you're in the world series he said take a second look around drink it all in and know that you're here you made it um so i, I definitely did him that favor of, uh, of soaking it in but shoot i don't think he would have had to tell me to do that tell me about what garcia meant to you guys during this postseason oh the role he played this whole season not just the postseason but you know the numbers he threw up uh in the season are incredible uh just deservingly so won a gold glove um, and then that run he went on in the postseason was that was incredible. You know, um, seemed like any time we needed someone to come through in the clutch, it was a dolus, you know, um, shoot, set the record for RBIs. Um, what do you have? Five straight games at the home run, played great defense out there. It, he's putting up Superman numbers, you know. Um, so to me, I knew that especially my type of player, I'm not going to fill in those shoes. You know, um, the only thing I could do was just go out and play the best version of my game that, you know, I, I did trust and still do trust will help, you know, teams win games. So what goes through your mind when you see him take that swing and grab his side? Because I've, I've seen that before, too. And the moment that it happens, I'm like, well, he ain't playing again in this World Series because that's one of those injuries that you can't finesse. Uh, tell me what's going through your mind when you see it. Yeah, you know, you're hoping for the best. You saw where he grabbed. It looked like an oblique, but you're kind of, you know, trying to tell yourself, okay, maybe it's just back, you know, maybe it's back just locked up. Like hopefully everything's okay. Um, but you also expect the worst, you know, it's like, Hey, yeah, this is your time. You know, um, lucky for me, you know, I was in the cage that whole game as usual, running, hitting, throwing, just doing everything I needed to do to stay prepped and loose. Um, but no, you know, Will came up to me Venable and said, Hey, here's the card you're in. You know, he gave me the card for the spots in the outfield. So, um, 
honestly, I think for me, that's the best thing that happens. You know, you get thrown right into a World Series game. You don't have 12 hours to think about it. You don't have time to prep. It's, hey, you're going, you know. Um, and, and looking forward to the next day, too. You know, you know, I figured I would be in a lineup the next day, either me or Robbie uh, Grossman. Um, but didn't get the official news until 2 o'clock, uh, about three hours before the game. And to me, that's uh, that's Bochy at his best, right? Like, hey, I probably know who I'm going to play. You know, I, I know what is going to unfold, who's going to get the start. But either me or Robbie is probably going to be a little nervous. You know, like this is the World Series. One of our best players just went down, um, and he waits three hours before the game to do that. So um, I don't know if he tried it or not, but I'm going to say that he uh, – he knew what he was doing with that one. Yeah, and I had you know known him for a long time, and I had a conversation with him about that. I think, and to to your point about him being at his best, and, and knowing what Garcia uh, had given you guys during the course of the year, he wanted to give him every chance to try the injury out. They knew the night before, you know what? It almost certainly is not going to work out. But they let him go and get treatment and take some swings. And then to know for sure after one or two swings, like, nope, he's not going to be able to go. And then to tell you, and I remember John Blake, it is the media relations for you guys walking through the clubhouse. We were in there. He goes, uh, Garcia's out. Uh, you know, Jankowski's batting ninth. And right then, you know, Eduardo looked at me and had that grin on his face because of your guys' conversation. What was it like when you step into the batter's box for uh, in a World Series game the first time? Uh, are there nerves or is it, you know what, I've done this a million times? I'll be honest with you. I thought there would be much more nerves. You know, uh, there was a calmness. Um, I don't want to say it was um, like a, a calm confidence. It was more of just a peace, you know. Um, and, and I told the guys, you know, I've never been given a job. You know, I've always had to earn that job in spring. Um so for me, I have to treat game one of spring training like game seven of the World Series. So I said, guys, I've been doing this my whole life. Don't worry. I said, I got nine years of World Series games under my belts. We're good. Um, but no, like in the batter's box, it's just pure calmness. You know, it's just uh, shoot the ball was uh, when things are going well for me, when I'm locked in, the ball doesn't feel like a beach ball. It feels like it's moving in slow motion. And uh I think my adrenaline was so spiked. I was so locked in that I had that feel again. Um, so it was awesome. I just need to re-emulate that every single game now. <laughs> so what's in, in your in your heart, in your mind's eye, uh, as you see uh, your first hit go into the outfield uh, in, in, a big, in a World Series game? To me, I'm thinking just squeak by. I know I didn't barrel it the best. I knew it was right past the pitcher, but I was like, come on, Perdomo, don't you dare snag that one away from me. Come on, let me get it. Um, <laughs> and to me, you know, it's a very similar feeling as your first hit in the big leagues. You know, um, you you get that debut hit. Uh, you don't feel your feet running the first base. You don't feel your body. You feel like you're just floating, you know. Um, it's uh, it's an incredible experience, man. I, honestly, I wish everyone in the world could experience it just so they could relate. And so I'm guessing you got the ball, right? I don't remember the ball being thrown off specifically. Were you able to get that? I do not know where the ball is. I was, oh, I was, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited. Um, and then, you know, I, I probably should have asked for it. But at the same time, it's like, hey, we're kind of rolling a little bit here. You know, we got some momentum. Let's not stop the game and look like a fool for asking for a ball. Let's just win this game. I'll, I'll take the ring instead of the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the moment when you felt like, you know what? Oh my God, we're going to win the World Series because your journey, that your team's journey, 
was so remarkable with the the great start, the six and a half game lead, uh, and then there's slide and and the Chris Young says to Bruce Bochy, "Is this what you wanted to come back for?" You know, kidding. Uh, and, and then uh, you you lose the division on the last day. And then you just win road game after road game after road game after road game. What was the moment where you're like, oh, my God, we're going to win this thing? You know, to me, it kind of goes back to spring training. You know, uh, a CY dressed us all as a team. And, uh, you know, this is probably one of the last few weeks of spring training. So I got to know the guys pretty well. I obviously knew the talent we had. Um, but he gave us a speech of, hey, guys, look around this group is going to a world series. You know, we are going to win a world series. And I've heard that speech before with organizations, but for me, it just hit different because I knew the type of guys that we had at that clubhouse. You know, everyone knows the talent, not everybody knows the people, the relationships, the, uh, the camaraderie you have in there. So I knew when CY said that, I was like, all right, I'm not just saying this is another speech. This isn't another GM speech. I'm actually kind of believing this one. Um, then we go throughout the year. We have a great start, you know, um, Siegs goes down and it's all right, let's see how good our bench is. You know, Duran steps up, Josh Smith steps up. Um, all these guys go out there and produce and fill the void that we had when one of the, you know, best players on the planet goes down and we didn't skip a beat. Um, you fast forward, you know, we hit a skid. You know, a lot of times that team chemistry gets broken up in a skid. You know, our August, early September wasn't the best month. But being in that clubhouse, you realize, wow, like these guys get it. They understand. No one's panicking. No one's pointing fingers. Everyone's taking accountability. Um, these guys are true professionals, and they know that this happens in the game. Um, and then we have the heartbreak in Seattle, right? That uh, that would crush a lot of teams. Um, just needing to win two. That's it. You know, you control your own destiny. Just go out. Magic number was two. We didn't do it. Um, to me, that kind of lit a little fire under us. You know, that was a moment where it was like, hey, we're going to have a tough road in, but we should have played better if we didn't want that. You know, um, the Rays, great team. Baltimore, incredible team. Houston, fighting with them all year, incredible team. And then to go and, you know, finish it off with the Diamondbacks, I truly didn't feel like we were going to win the World Series until Marcus Simeon hit that home run uh, in game five. That's wow. when I think everyone took a deep breath and said, oh, my gosh, we're three outs away. Uh, that being said, Max is in the dugout saying, let's get the first out. Don't start counting outs. Don't start counting outs. Uh, Max Scherzer was um, yelling that to you guys. Yes. Yeah, he was letting us know. He's been there before. <laughs> so he was letting us know, you know, one pitch at a time, stay locked in. Um, but, boy, and then that run in from right field on that dog pile, that was – that's probably the the greatest thing that I remember uh, from this whole journey personally was that run in and – um, you see it as a kid, you get to live it out as a, uh, as a professional player. That was, that was special. So before the last game of the world series, Bruce Bochy told us a story about you from spring training. He goes, you know, he had a really rough spring training. Uh, and, and he said that he talked to you and he said, I get it. You're trying to make the team. And I understand. And, and Boch, as you know, was a backup catcher. And which is why I think his time as a manager He's always understood the perspective of everybody on the roster. Uh, and he said that to you. And he, and he said to us, he goes, look, Leody Tavares gets hurt at the beginning of spring or just uh, just before the start of the season. He said, I don't know if we would have been able to keep Travis if, uh, you know, he hadn't gotten hurt. What are your memories from back then? And and you mentioned about every every uh, spring training game feeling like a World Series. 
uh, as you go through that stretch, what are you thinking? That was a tough stretch for me and my family. You know, that was uh, the hardest part about it was, you know, and, and first off, Boach hit the nail on the head, you know, and I don't know why I was putting so much pressure on myself. Uh, maybe it was because I liked the guy so much and didn't want to miss out on that locker room for, you know, a week, 10 days, a month, whatever it was for how long it would be for me to get, you know, called back up if I started in the minor leagues. But, uh, yeah, I was just putting way too much pressure on myself. Him and CY called me in and said, hey, just go have fun. This last week of spring, this is not the type of player you are. We've seen you play. You know, Boach managed against me when he was in San Francisco for three, four years. I had a spring training with CY when he played in San Diego. Like, they know you're better than this. What's going on? So I was like, you're right, guys. So I just want to go out and have fun. Um, that being said, those uh, that week of not knowing, am I going to be on the team? Is this going to be a week-long thing, a month-long thing? That was, uh, it was tough. You know, I have a wife and four kids. They didn't know where to live. They, you know, we can't stay in a hotel with four kids. It's just chaos. So we're looking for a house in Arlington. We're looking for a house in Round Rock. Uh, so finally, we get the news um, that I made the team. And we uh, we settled down, but uh, no, it was it was tough. But you got to scra- uh, you know scratch, claw, and fight for everything in this game. And to me, I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, um, the fulfillment of knowing that this was earned and it was a tough road in. You know, personally and team wise, that's the story, right? Like that is the fun part about this game. That is why you you never give up. You keep pushing forward because you go from maybe not making the team out of spring training to playing a pivotal. Uh, you know, pivotal role in the World Series game four. And now we uh, we're world champions, you know, just keep going, keep pushing. And now you're world champions. And next spring, you're going to get a world championship ring. Uh, tell me what you think that's going to be like and how often will you wear it? <laughs> I don't know how often I'll wear it. Um, that's one of those things I'm sure, you know, out to dinner with one of my teammates, you know, we'll show off rings. Um, but to me, that's one of those things that goes in a safe deposit box. Um, the only thing I heard about the ring, and it makes sense because everything's bigger in Texas, right, is it's going to be big. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like Jerry's World, right? Right across from, from where you guys have the home park. You're, you're exactly. exactly right. You're going to have the Jerry's World of World Championship rings. Travis, I'm so happy for you. It's so cool. Congratulations. Thank you, Buster. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield covers baseball for ESPN. He's a little under the weather during the World Series. You're going to have him on, but Dave, I, I think you're feeling better. I'm feeling better, Buster. Obviously, we're excited for the offseason. What an offseason it's going to be with... What I would call Shohei Otani the second greatest free agent of all time behind Alex Rodriguez, who was, what, only 24 years old when he uh, hit free agency back after 2000. Well, yeah, and and he'll be the the biggest name. I've got a bunch of topics to get through with you, so we're just going to kind of hit these rapid fire. Uh, First off, start with Clayton Kershaw, you know, future Hall of Famer, uh, he sends out an announcement the other day, not surprisingly, because Clayton is very protective of his medical information, which is completely his right, sends out the information that he had shoulder surgery and he hopes to see us next summer. 
which means that we have my read on it is we have zero answers about whether he's going to pitch again or whether if in fact he pitches again, he's going to pitch for the Dodgers. It felt like the crack, the door is a little open, especially for the Texas Rangers, his hometown team. Yeah, obviously he can, you know, wait and decide and make a decision, see how the rehab goes. Shoulder injuries obviously are far from a sure thing. So there's a lot of steps here. Can he get healthy? Can he get healthy enough to pitch again? Uh, Can he get healthy enough to pitch again in 2024? And then who wants him? You're right. I mean, imagine the Rangers heading into October with the rotation of Jacob DeGrom back from Tommy John, Max Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw. That'd be pretty fun. Yeah. And I think Kershaw, one of the questions is, as he comes back from the shoulder surgery is, is he okay being bad for a time? You know, let's, yeah. cause you played out worst case scenario. If he comes back, as you said, coming back from a shoulder surgery is really complicated. It takes time. You hear, you know, uh, pitchers say that their command when they come back is off. Uh, and with his velocity down, there's a chance that when he comes back, initially it could be ugly as he sort of finds his way. I, I One of my questions I have about Clayton is how much patience he has for that type of uh, situation. Yeah, that's a good point. And look, I know when he came back at the end of last year, you know, throw out that playoff start when he got pounded. He was okay, even though he was only throwing 88, 89 so he's proven he can succeed with with diminished velocity. But, you know, Buster, that's such a fine line. I think of a yep. guy like Felix Hernandez, who once he dropped below 90, he couldn't succeed anymore. So it, it's a fine line whether he, he can, you know, still be good if he's only throwing 88. So on ESPN.com today, they had a bunch of us predict the landing spot for some of the premier free agents. And so I just want to go through the same list that uh, maybe add one or two more on uh, that they gave it to us and then and share some opinions with you. First off, we'll start with the number one free agent, Shohei Otani. What say you about where he's going to land? Yeah, I went with the Rangers. I know the other three of you went with the Dodgers, you know, and let's not dismiss the Angels. But basically, Buster, I just wanted to read off that lineup. Marcus Semien, Corey Seager, Otani, Odolis Garcia, Evan Carter, Josh Young, Nathaniel Lau, Lowe, Jonah Heim, and Wyatt Langford Buster is going to be another star hitting that lineup next year. Imagine that lineup with Otani. Yeah, that that would that would be fun to watch. <laughs> you know, if you had uh, you know Seager, Carter, and Otani split in that group. You know, I'm guessing you'd probably bat out. Where did you have Otani? I know you put down the, the list of uh, where he hit in that lineup. Where I had him bat third, yeah. You know, but yeah. yeah, you could go left, right, left. Yeah, you he might go you know, Seager, too, Carter's right? Carter's going to be an on-base machine. He could take over the leadoff spot from Marcus Simeon. You know, you got – I wrote this. The last team to score 1,000 runs was Cleveland in 1999. That lineup could potentially score 1,000 runs. I did go Dodgers. I had someone in the Dodgers organization, and this was his word, say Andrew Freeman is obsessed with Otani. So we'll yep. see how that plays out. Uh, I want to make sure I get this pronunciation right. Uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who's going to yep. be, to me, the highest paid pitcher of this offseason, age 26. We just saw him throw 138 pitches the other day in that game six victory ad. He set a record for strikeouts in the the Japan World Series, 14, right? Yep. I think he yep. had the other day. 
Uh, I said, I think the Yankees, because I know Brian Cashman, their general manager, his reflex when he gets into trouble, when the team gets into trouble, is to grab for pitching. I think the Yankees will blow away the field. What about you? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I went with the Mets and, you know, uh, the new GM there, new president of baseball operations, David Stearns, will see what they're going to do. He kind of has said they're going to straddle the line, right? He wants to compete but build for the future. Well, Yamamoto does both. He's great right now, and he's only 25, so he's young enough to be that ace for for the long-term future. We know they have money, so I'm going with the Mets. All right, Blake Snell, who's going to be named the Cy Young or winning the National League here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, who did I go with here? Oh, I went with. I think I went with the Cubs. Um, wow. My feeling is Marcus Stroman has opted out. They were middle of the majors in uh, rotation ERA. They're trying to win that division. So I think Nola or Snell to the Cubs, one of those two. I, I got Snell going to the uh, Cardinals. I think Cardinals are probably, and we'll touch on the teams under the most pressure going the offseason. I, I think they're under so much pressure. They got to fill three spots in their rotation. And Snell to me is in a great position where uh, I think that the interest won't be as great generally as maybe what he hopes for, anticipates. But this is a situation where they could goose, he and his representative could goose the Cardinals. Like, yep. we know you're even more desperate than we are. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the number to make this happen. So, and, and you know what? For him to, to have, you know, uh, Nolan Arenado playing behind him defensively as a left-handed pitcher, that's not a bad deal either. So I think Blake Snell will do there. Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger. Now, I admitted this was a long shot. Now, we were asked to name of a need. So I went with the Mariners, and it's a long shot. It's probably not going to happen. But, they, boy, could they use a left-handed, middle-of-the-order hitter. And, Buster, they were second in the majors in strikeouts as a team. Bellinger greatly reduced his strikeout rate last year. Only struck out 15% of the time. So uh, long shot, but uh, as a Mariners fan, that would be a nice fit. Some of our peers were predicting the Yankees. And look, Cody makes a lot of sense for them generally. Uh, you know, left-handed hitter, helped balance out the lineup, great athlete. He's played in big markets. You're not worried about him turning into Joey Gallo in the New York market the way you would some others. Uh, I wound up picking the Giants because I think the yep. Yankees are going to use their available money on pitching and will go more short-term on hitting, uh, on left-handed hitting, hello Juan Soto. That, to me, is potentially more of a fit because it wouldn't be as much of a financial obligation uh, if you trade him for one year. And that means for me, and it was interesting, Jeff and I had the same, Jeff Passan and I had the same instinct that uh, San Francisco, like they need a star. And Farhan yep. Zaidi knows Cody. Uh, and it feels like Cody being a Boris guy in this situation, he's going to take the biggest offer. And the Giants have the ability to take down this player making the biggest offer. So that's our guess there. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, which I think is the easiest among the group. Yeah, I mean, I think all three of you guys went with the Rangers. I would agree with that. My hope is the Cincinnati Reds would go out and spend some money. They got all those young starters who need to prove that they can make it through a season. But Montgomery would be a veteran leader for that staff, chew up some innings. They're not spending any money on payroll, Buster. Come on, Cincinnati. Go buy a free agent. You wish. Yeah. Uh, and I think Jeff may have mentioned the Red Sox as being a possibility. Look, I don't think the Texas Rangers 
their owner, Ray Davis, they're going to let him get away. Like he's comfortable there. He knows what it's like. He just won a title with them. I think he stays there. Josh Hader is closer. Uh, I'll start with this. No teams are paying big money for closers that that much anymore. You know, the Mets did uh, with Edwin Diaz. I, I think the Rangers will pay him big. Uh, and that's where I got him going. Yeah, um, he wasn't on our list, but off the top of my head, Rangers, I mean, I think the Phillies, after what happened with Craig Kimbrell in the playoffs, they have a lot of options, but they don't have that shutdown, lockdown, ninth inning guy. Um, so I think Rangers are Phillies. Aaron Nola, who reportedly was looking for a contract in the $200 million range. My take is, Dave, there's no chance he gets close to that. Uh, I think they're going to be some concerned about his up and down. You know, he's not a guy throwing 96 miles per hour. In the end, he's worth more to the Phillies than any other franchise. I think he goes back to the Phillies. What about you? Yeah, I would agree. And that's another team I'd throw out the Cubs. And um, let's throw out the Dodgers, Buster. Like, Otani, even if they sign him, he's not pitching next year. Yeah. No Kershaw. Uh, we saw the state of that rotation in the playoffs. So you man, would they assume Julio Arias, uh, who's a free agent, um, yep. you know, that they move on, may move on past him as they did uh, uh, with Trevor Bauer after he was suspended. Uh, and, and even that Arias is going to be uh, is facing a lengthy suspension at some point. So you're right. The Dodgers are going to be have to have to be out there looking for names. Maybe they're the team that lands Blake Snell. Maybe they're the team that challenges the Rangers for uh, for Jordan Montgomery. Uh, an interesting name to me, and I don't know if this is on the list that was presented to you, is Matt Chapman, who got off to such a great start for the Blue Jays uh, and then really faded. I talked to the evaluators, very concerned about the swing and miss, very concerned about uh, struggling against fastballs in the zone. Uh, but as uh, you and I know, he's an elite defender, just won another Gold Glove Award. And I thought, first off, I don't think he's going to get the money that we might have imagined six months ago. And as the price comes down, I'm thinking the Cubs are going to look at him and go, man, Chapman, Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner in the infield. That would be amazing to watch. Yeah, that'd be one of the best infields ever. Uh, yeah, the fastball thing is real. I wrote this. He only had one extra base hit to the pole side all year against a fastball 95 no or higher. So a uh, big, big concern about his bat speed. Um, I put Arizona. Uh, we saw they didn't get any production from third base last year, even in the playoffs. Evan Longoria is probably uh, going to retire. Um, will they spend the money? You know, Arizona doesn't usually do that, but that'd be a nice fit for the Diamondbacks. All right, teams under the most pressure. Uh, I'm going to tell you my list of, uh, I'm going to say top three, but I'm going to give you four because I think two are kind of tied together. Uh, number one, the Cardinals, you know, after disastrous year, incredibly disappointing, uh, you know, arguably the most disappointing of the year they've, they've had in over a century. Uh, I, I think John Mazalock is under a ton of pressure going into this year. Number two, I've got the Red Sox and Yankees twinned at the hip. It feels like both yep. <laughs> those teams were under a lot of pressure. And three, in a weird way, the Padres are. Like the yep. Padres have to, on one hand, cut payroll. And on the other hand, they have to find a way to plug the holes and get better off of a disastrous year. Any other teams come to mind? Yeah, I'll throw out a couple teams. Toronto with Chapman, yes. Kevin Kiermeyer, Brandon Belt. They're all free agents. So those are three major positions to fill. And if they're winning, they've been on the brink, but now you got to compete with the Rangers and the Astros. Are they going to spend any money? 
And how you know, hey, how about the Dodgers? 101 wins, but a lot of holes, a whole rotation almost to rebuild. Um, will they sign Otani if they don't? What's the backup plan? So that's why I think it's going to be a fascinating offseason. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you and I talked about this at the time it happened. You know, those comments that were made about Julio Rodriguez by the former president or CEO of the team uh, really seemed to put pressure on the team to get Julio Rodriguez to the big leagues. I think in a similar way, Jerry DePoto's comments after the year ended and all the criticism, the backlash after that is going to put uh, pressure on the Mariners to make a big move this winter. Yes. Yeah, it, it does. You know, unfortunately, their needs don't align with with the market. They need a hitter. And even Cody Bellinger, as good as he was last year, you know, a little bit of a risk there. And it's going to take, you know, nine figures to bring him in. Um, but, yeah, I think they are under pressure. And DePoto's comments, obviously, uh, did not go over well in Seattle. So they got to get better to, to beat the Rangers in Houston. Last one uh, yesterday, the Gold Glove winners were announced. Uh, you know, for listeners, you, you can go and get the full list uh, on ESPN.com. Uh, I just was asking, wanted to ask you about if there was one name or you know one situation that jumped out to you the, that you either felt like, wow, that's really cool that that guy won it, or hey, where the heck is this guy? For me, it, it was Anthony Volpe. Really happy for him that you know at the end of. You know, a, a rookie season where he had some ups and downs and there was a question early in the year, should they send him down? Uh, he, he sort of justified all the things that the other players, other players said about him in spring training, that they really felt like that he was up to the task. He was up to the moment. And defensively, that certainly was the case. Yeah, it was that was nice to see. I'll say Jonah Heim. We saw what he did in the yes. playoffs. Remember, this was a guy nine years in the minor leagues before the Rangers got him from Oakland. Um, elite pitch framer, good arm, and obviously did a great job handling that staff. So well-deserved for Jonah Heim. All right. All right, Dave, you got through without hacking one time. <laughs> you're, you're getting on, you're on the mend, I can tell. All right. Thanks, Buster. Have a good offseason. This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing after a weekend without baseball? Or did you find some baseball? Of course I found baseball. I watched Lee Jones, the Dominican winner, every day of the weekend. A lot of fun games. So, you know, Nelson Cruz is doing a goodbye tour. In Lee Jones, so really fun to watch him. So I still had baseball. And uh, I'm guessing you probably communicated with the world championship winning manager, Bruce Bochy. Tell me about that. I did. That was a wild moment sitting up there in the press box, probably, um, probably a little bit before I spoke to you on that evening after uh, they won on Wednesday night. I sent my text just to say congratulations. And I'm so glad I was able to, you know, chat with him before he came and me there. And he responded, said, thanks so much, love you. So it was just really a crazy moment for me to think of being a fan when he won his first world to show me up and down with my mom to being here and meeting member, knowing him, all of these things. Very, very wild off trajectory. Right. So and, then, and so he responded to you not long after the end of the game? 
Oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember the exact timeline. I mean, it was uh, it was after the uh, initial uh, celebration. That's awesome. That That's really cool. It's not a surprise that uh, he took the time to do that. I wonder if he was still wearing that small hat on his head when he uh, when he sent you that text. All right. Let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 10. So, you know, we're coming up on awards week. We'll get the uh, finalists today on Monday. Some are anything you had to the awards. The 10 is for the number of pitchers. To win the Cy Young Award and then be a free agent that offseason, which I mean, I'm expecting Blake Snell to join this list. So the wild thing is, this has happened in each of the last three seasons: Trevor Bauer, Robbie Ray, and Justin Verlander. Before 2020, it had not happened since 2004. So we're most likely going to have a fourth straight year where a Cy Young winner is an immediate free agent. Number two. Number two is six. So then we need the Otani version of that stat. So last year, Aaron John was the sixth player to be a free agent in the offseason after winning a BMP. And again, I'm expecting Shohei Otani to join this list. The others to do so were Alex Rodriguez in 2007, Robin Yount in 1989, Andre Nelson in 87, Joe Morgan in 76, and the only one to change teams via free agency after winning MVP, Barry Bonds in 92. Number one. Number one is 13. So a couple of awards we did get so far were the gold gloves last time. And it was really exciting because there were 13 first-time winners. That's the second most in a single year. We had 14 last year. Overall, it is the fourth straight year. And we've had at least 10 first-time winners. That is the longest dream in the history of the award. It's just so fun to see how good these young players have been, that there's so much new blood year after year. Yeah, one of the uh, best stories that, of course, Gavin Moreno quickly has become one of the uh, best defensive catchers in all of baseball. You know, in his first year as a regular, he's a cool one. Uh, I love the Brenton Doyle backstory. Uh, you know, someone who comes up with the Rockies has an immediate impact. I know he's going to the offseason looking to improve his offense. For me, maybe, uh, you know, one of the more enjoyable ones, Fernando Tatis Jr., who comes back from uh, missing a year. Uh, he's uh, planted at shortstop by the Padres, decision to sign Xander Bogarts. He goes to right field and he wins a gold glove. Um, you know, tip of the cap to him. I know that wasn't necessarily his first choice to move uh, from the infield to the outfield but he seemed to make the most of it. What's a cool backstory for you among those who won? I mean, I love all the ones you said. You know, I'm really, really happy for Keeper and Hayes. I think statistically, no disrespect to Nolan Arenado, but numbers-wise, there's an argument that he should have won that last year. Either way, he finally gets it, and he's one where you really feel like this is for so many. 
we know how much pride he puts into that defense. And this is the guy who has been so good defensively from the moment he came up in 2020. And again, ending that Arenado streak, again, nothing against Arenado. But that's something to really hang your hat on. Arenado wasn't even a finalist this year, so we knew what end. But to be that guy was the first since 2012 to win it, not named Nolan Arenado, really singles to see change. So I'm really, really happy for him. All right, Sarah. Well, thanks for doing this. And uh, I, I think we haven't talked through all the logistics of what we're going to do, but I think we'll be on again next week. And uh, hopefully you can join us. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, how are you doing? Buster, the season is over, daylight savings, all this stuff. I'm kind of out of sorts, but doing well. And uh, all of a sudden, winter has arrived, my friend. Well, and as we talk to you on Zoom, you're wearing your curly W of the Washington Nationals. Very nice. Uh, we uh, always have appreciated your work. Uh, and this year, you did amazing work on Forgotten Fields. Uh, thank you so much for that. Absolutely. It was a great topic all year long. We got great feedback. We started on March the 9th with Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. We wrapped it up on the 27th of uh, October with Mile High Stadium in Denver. And we did a uh, a road trip throughout the year. So it was a fun topic to discuss. Oh, and there's always little threads that are, are fun to pull on at the end of your presentations and little pieces of history. I can't tell you how many times you know, I've been in conversation with people and said, yeah, Todd was talking about this and Todd was talking about that uh, within some of the presentations that you did and, and given the work that you put in. Uh, thank you so much. You already have an idea for next year? I'm floating this. No one's heard about this. So okay. if, it, if it's really terrible, you'll have to tell me about it offline. But <laughs> I'm thinking about I thought that, you know, our trip around the majors, which uh, which was really so much fun. Like I said, um, everybody loves a road trip. So I'm thinking about something that I'm calling beyond the ballpark, historic sites that kind of have to do with things that happened off the field of play. What are a couple of examples? Well, I said earlier in the season, uh, just a couple of blocks from where I live is the site of the A.J. Reach Baseball Factory, where every American League baseball was made for something like 50 years. And that intrigued me. So I thought about what about the YMCA in Kansas City, where the Negro Leagues were founded, or the hotel room, the hotel where the plot to hatch the 1919 World Series uh, occurred, or uh, the the uh, Grand Central Hotel, the place that was the birthplace of the National League, could be a good topic, and it allows us to get into stories that go beyond the field. That sounds great. You know, over the weekend, uh, my partner Liz uh, was honored in Washington, D.C., and so we were there for a few days and we went to the African-American Museum, which is a place I've you know, been trying, as you know, 
pretty hard to get tickets to that place. Yeah. Uh, and so we finally got in for the first time on Saturday and had this great video uh, presentation about the Negro Leagues within that. And, you know, the whole conversation of, you know, how it got started and then what happened after Jackie Robinson and Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb and others left. Uh, that would be fantastic. I, I, I would love that because it, no matter where you are, like I, I just bop around Washington, D.C. And, you know, after two days, because, you know, I'm a history nerd at uh, Liz was like, you've just been reciting facts for two days, like all these different <laughs> like that's an easy place to do it. Uh, right. Exactly. And and there's always these little elements and threads like Arlington uh, Cemetery. Love going there. But also I'm curious about the, the history presentation of the Robert E. Lee House. And, yeah. you know, how that's evolved over time. So that's a great idea. I like that. Taylor, you want to jump in and uh, give some initial thoughts? You know, I was get, at the end of the season, I was getting nervous. I shouldn't be nervous, but like, man, Todd came up with another banger. How is he going to top himself next year? And it sounds like you're we're on path here. So I'm I'm excited for this. Awesome. Nice. I, I just thought of one while we're speaking. Uh, the Billy Goat Tavern in Chicago, which you, if you've never been there, uh, you should get there. But uh, an entire curse uh, was 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 launched there in 1945. <laughs> so I'm going to get right to it. I can't wait. I already can't wait for the season to begin, but maybe we should catch up on our sleep first. And by the way, Buster, just while I'm thinking of it, the Curly W, you didn't catch. It's actually an homage to the World Series champion Texas Rangers who oh, began life as shit. the Washington Senators wearing the Curly W before the Nats did. Okay. Well, shoot, I, I, I did not get the connection because you always have some connection uh, we just got done talking with Travis Jankowski a little while ago to give me some uh, final thoughts in the World Series. You know, it was a strange World Series. We talked about this um, last time we all spoke. Um, just an unexpected matchup. The Rangers who went to back-to-back World Series under Ron Washington back in 2010-2011. Wasn't a shock to see them win it, but when a new team wins it and they don't have a history of championships basically just to see the texas rangers on the field with that trophy was pretty amazing obviously the the uh storyline of bruce bochi already a hall of famer but um boy he really just you know th these are these are uh amazing levels historically that he has now achieved first year winning it third team getting to a world series uh worthy champions the diamondbacks you know at a certain point the wheels fell off the bus this kind of thing happens, but what an amazing young team. Um, so it was a short series. I kind of enjoyed it and uh, ready for whatever happens next, next year. I told this uh, story in the podcast last week after the Rangers won the World Series. It was worth telling to you again, if you didn't have a chance to hear it, about uh, Bruce Bochy, given your work. Uh, so we're in this celebration. I mean, it's it's couldn't have been more than three minutes, four minutes after the final pitch. And uh, whoever is in charge of this is bringing out the club. Clubbies are bringing out the championship T-shirts, the championship hats. And Bruce Bochy reaches over, grabs a hat, puts on his head. And it looks like, you know, his old friend, his former general manager, Kevin Towers, used to call them, you know, propeller heads, all the stats analysts. It yeah. looked like a beanie on top of his head. And he, like, put it down. And I hadn't seen him snap like that. It doesn't fit. Like, it doesn't fit. And he put it down and he grabbed another one. But the funny thing is, I saw some interviews subsequent to that. He still wasn't able to find a hat that fit him. 
Totally, totally. Watching the celebration on TV at home, and uh, and I said to my wife, I'm like, look at the, you know, it looks like uh, it, it it's a beanie, it's a yarmulke or something. <laughs> it definitely didn't fit, and and it and it, of course, with research, sends me down a rabbit hole. And uh, we know all the stories around the size of Bruce Bochy's head. But I found something from 1981 and when he w- went from the Astros to the Mets about how the Mets equipment manager could not find a helmet. So they had to repaint his orange Astros helmet, Mets blue. And uh, it's been a problem for a while, but um, a Hall of Famer with a Hall of Fame size head. So it just seems perfect. <laughs> all right, let's get to this week. Uh, this week's quiz, the final quiz of the year. Uh, we're going to have Parker join us, we're gonna Adrian join us, Sarah, Taylor, myself. Uh, I think between the five of us, one of us might be able to get the right answer. <laughs> all right, everybody. It's going to be free for all here. This is the only defunct MLB franchise to win 1,000 games. Not a franchise that has moved, but a franchise that went belly up and folded. Is it the Indianapolis Hoosiers? Is it B, the Louisville Colonels? Is it C, the Cleveland Spiders, or is it D, the National League's Baltimore Orioles? Only defunct MLB franchise to win 1,000 games. The Indianapolis Hoosiers, the Louisville Colonels, the Cleveland Spiders, or the National League Baltimore Orioles? So I really have no excuse not to know this, uh, but I, I'm not certain of totally certain of the answer. I, I'm going to let Adrian is joining us for the first time. I'll let Adrian give the answer. You got to go A, B, C, or D. Adrian, you pick one of those answers and just give you a quick thought on uh, why. Um, you know, I'm not as familiar as you guys, but um, the Orioles. Okay, Parker. I am also going to guess with the Orioles. Taylor Schwink, famous Oriole fan, maybe the most famous Oriole fan. Oh, this will be a bad look if I get it wrong, but I'm going with the uh, the Kentucky Colonels. Oof. Sarah, I'm also going with the Kentucky Colonels. Wow, this we're we're going to be split here. Uh, I'm going to go with the Orioles. It is the Orioles. So Parker, <laughs> Adrian, and Foster with the Baltimore Orioles, who won 1,100. And 33 games over the course of their history. Congratulations to all of you. And congratulations to Buster, who finishes the season with 14 wins. Sarah and Taylor, each with 10. So uh, somehow we'll have to have a draft choice mechanism. (laughs) But uh, 34 weeks of the quiz, guys. That's it. And and, uh, we got our our Parker and Adrian with with victories. Congratulations to you guys. What an auspicious start. Yeah, I think we're... 24. There will be an appeals court. Uh, there could be a you know an appeal made because Adrian, by winning percentage, won the quiz this year, having a thousand winning percentage. Me, on the other hand, I'm doing the math. You're like fourteen right out of thirty four, <laughs> so that's not great. <laughs> well, what did Ted Williams say about uh, hitting three hundred or right. four hundred or whatever it was? Four hundred is hard enough, but. I'd say 14 out of 34 is pretty respectable given oh, what we go. have every month. And there are a lot of pushes, a lot of, a lot of ties, but uh, along the way, but, uh, but when do, when is the championship parade? Where is it? How do we go about this? Is there it's a trophy? downtown Bozeman? Uh, there'll be nobody there. I'll be driving through. Uh, there's this great honey store in downtown Bozeman. I'll give a wave on both sides of main street. I don't think there'll be a police <laughs> escort. Uh, but uh, I, that's probably going to happen on Wednesday. Thank you. 
All right. I, I will uh, seek out direct flights from Philadelphia starting this afternoon. <laughs> all right, Todd. Thanks for today and thanks for all year. Great seeing you guys. Uh, happy off season, everybody. And real quick, thanks to everyone who checks in, listens every week. You guys are the best. Um, already looking forward to next year. So thank you. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. We've got Ryan Sensenig. He writes in, uh, out of the remaining franchise, he has to win a World Series. Colorado, Milwaukee, San Diego, Seattle, and Tampa Bay. Who do you see as the most likely to get off the schneid? I guess statistically, you'd say Tampa Bay. They've been the most consistently good. But you know what, Taylor? They have to go through the American League East. And it feels mm-hmm. like that, that that's a, a bridge too high. But I was going to say the Seattle Mariners. But you know what? <laughs> the last two World Series champions, <laughs> uh, they, they come out of their division. Right. So I'm just going to say Mariners. What about you? Out of those teams, I think Tampa Bay is most likely. But if I had to pick another one, I'd go Milwaukee. A little bit of a softer softer path to get into the playoffs and be set up for you know maybe a run. Maybe? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Taylor Anderson, Taylor Gang, what's up? Uh, writes in, if Shohei Otani chooses to leave, what would the next steps be for the Angels? And who do you think they should hire as a Man, they'd have to pick up the pieces. Uh, look, I, I think that Perry Manassian, my guess is, you know, he worked as a clubhouse attendant with the Texas Rangers when Buck Showalter was the manager. Now Perry is the general manager of the Angels. So my instinct is, is that his first choice would be Buck Showalter. I just don't know if he has the starch because uh, to make the hire because Artie Moreno, their owner, he kind of goes hot and cold on his general managers and his managers. And they got the they got the whole is is Artie is he selling or is he not selling today? He is, I don't he's remember. not selling the team. He's made that he announced that. Okay, okay, I couldn't yeah. remember. All right, I think Glad he likes it hanging. too much. Okay, glad that's not hanging over them. Uh, Don Irvine writes in: Is there a team out there that will pay Marcus Stroman more than the twenty one million he was due in twenty twenty four after his abysmal second half of the season? Yes, he will make more than that. He'll certainly get more than twenty one million dollars guaranteed because. Uh, I think you can tie Strowman's, uh, you know, descent in the second half to an injury. Uh, and so it makes mm-hmm. it easy for teams to say, you know what, when he's healthy, he's a really good pitcher. Do I think he's going to get a whopper 150 to $200 million deal? That would surprise me. Brendan Severo writes in, is there a low-cost pitcher the Orioles can sign to help them reach the World Series? I'm going to say this. I don't want any more retread, let's try and work it out kind of guys. I'm hoping that we're past that, but what do you think, Buster? Well, I think in a perfect – I think you'd agree with me on this, Taylor. Like, if you look at the market and who potentially might fit, they should be a team that has the payroll flexibility and the desire to sign Jordan Montgomery. I totally agree. Yep. uh, Would be perfect. Because he's an innings eater. He he would be the guy who could lead that staff. He's now going to have a World Series championship ring. You know, he could he could demonstrate that to the other players. They know him. He knows the American League East. He would be perfect. And I think there's zero chance that that John Angelos is willing to spend the money on Jordan Montgomery. <laughs> zero. Ugh, that's what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I I couldn't agree more. Like, he would be my guy, uh, top of my wish list, but I don't think it happens. I think they will spend some money on pitching. I feel like they they absolutely have to. Like, I, I feel like it would be I, – I just can't fathom them not doing something major, you know? I can. I, I, you know, I always go back to my <laughs> – Of course, of course. Because we always – you know, Mike Elias last year talked about we're going to significantly lift off, lift off, baby. From 2022 to 2023, and we always go back to the same fact. How many players 
are under contract for 2024. One. And it's mm-hmm. James McCann, their backup catcher. <laughs> so until they start spending money, they're not spending money, Taylor. Does that make uh, sense? Yeah, yeah. I guess I just, I don't know. Maybe the season has given me like the slightest amount of optimism that I haven't had before. So. I hope they do. The, the yeah. Orioles fans deserve it. They need a bat. They need a pitcher. We'll see if it happens. Let's uh, one more here. Darren Bell at Vintage Bell writes in, in addition to playing Bart Giamatti's The Greenfields of the Mind, do you have any other season-ending traditions? Mine is listening to Don Henley's Boys of Summer. Yep. So so when I lived back east, uh, it was always picking up leaves. Like at the end of the World Series, I would have all these leaves that uh, when I lived in New York that I had to go through. We don't really have that here, but we do have snow tires that we need and need to have put on the car. So as soon as I'm done the podcast today, I'm going in, get snow tires put on on one of our cars. And the next day I'm going in to get the snow tires put on the other car. That's my season ending tradition. What do you think? I love it. I love it. It's very in character for you. You're a man who who gets stuff done, you know, as uh, you know, our title sponsor, Granger, the ones who get it done, Buster in his household right now, snow tires. What's better than that? There you go. This episode of the Baseball Tonight podcast was presented by Granger. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers professional grade supplies and solutions made for every industry and backed by product experts. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. That's it for today. My thanks to Travis Jankowski, to Dave, Sarah, Todd, Sarah, Adrian, Parker, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. And in keeping with podcast tradition, here is the late and great commissioner, Bart Giamatti, reading his own piece. But Bart, of course, is a Renaissance man, and that means that he is also a Red Sox fan. (laughs) He wrote a classic piece, actually, one of his great pieces called The Green Fields of the Mind. Please welcome him back, Commissioner Bart Giamatti. little piece was originally written one afternoon as the class notes for the class of 1960 in Yale College. I was the class secretary. I had absolutely nothing to say about my classmates. (laughs) I wrote what you're about to hear. It was properly and immediately rejected by the Yale Alumni Magazine (laughs) on the grounds that it was completely irrelevant to the purpose of the class notes. I accepted the judgment cheerfully, and then (laughs) when unaccountably two months later I became president, the alumni magazine reprinted it. (laughs) Remarkable, but not as class notes. It breaks your heart. It is designed to break your heart. The game begins in the spring when everything else begins again, and it blossoms in the summer, filling the afternoons and evenings, and then as soon as the chill rains come, it stops and leaves you to face the fall alone. You count on it, rely on it to buffer the passage of time, to keep the memory of sunshine and high skies alive, and then just when the days are all twilight, when you need it most, it stops. Today, October 2nd, a Sunday of rain and broken branches and leaf-clogged drains and slick streets, it stopped and summer was gone. Somehow the summer seemed to slip by faster this time. 
Maybe it wasn't this summer, but all the summers that in this, my 40th summer, slipped by so fast. There comes a time when every summer will have something of autumn in it. Whatever the reason, it seemed to me that I was investing more and more in baseball, making the game do more of the work that keeps time fat and slow and lazy. I was counting on the game's deep patterns, three strikes, three outs, three times, three innings, and its deepest impulse to go out and back, to leave and to return home, to set the order of the day and to organize the daylight. I, I, I wrote a few things this past summer, this summer that did not last, nothing grand but some things, and yet that work was just camouflage. The real activity was done with the radio, not the all-seeing, all-falsifying television. And was the playing of the game in the only place it will last, the enclosed green field of the mind, there in that warm, bright place what the old poet called mutability does not so quickly come. But out here on Sunday, October 2nd, when it rains all day, Dame Mutability never loses. She was in the crowd at Fenway yesterday, a gray day full of bluster and contradiction, when the Red Sox came up in the last of the ninth, trailing Baltimore eight to five, well, the Yankees rain delayed against Detroit, needing only to win one or have Boston lose one to win it all, sat in New York washing down cold cuts with beer and watching the Boston game. Boston had won two, the Yankees had lost two, and suddenly it seemed as if the whole season might go to the last day or beyond, except here was Boston losing eight to five, while New York sat in its family room and put up its feet. Lynn, both ankles hurting now as they had in July, hits a single down the right field line. The crowd stirs. It's on its feet. Hobson, third baseman, former Bear Bryant quarterback, strong, quiet, over 100 RBIs, goes for three breaking balls and is out. The goddess smiles and encourages her agent, a canny journeyman named Nelson Bryles. Now comes the pinch hitter, Bernie Carbo, one-time Rookie of the Year, erratic, quick, a shade, too handsome, so laid back he's always in his soul, stretched out in the tall grass, one arm under his head, watching the clouds and laughing. Now he looks over some low stuff, unworthy of him, and then, uncoiling, sends one out, straight on a rising line, over the center field wall, no cheap Fenway shot, but all of it, the physics as elegant as the arc the ball describes. New England is on its feet, roaring. The summer will not pass. Roaring, they recall the evening late and cold in 1975, the sixth game of the World Series, perhaps the greatest baseball game played in the last 50 years. When Carbo, loose and easy, had uncoiled to tie the game that Fisk would win. It is now eight to seven, one out, and school will never start, rain will never come, sun will warm the back of your neck forever. Now Bailey, picked up from the National League recently, big arms, heavy gut experience, new to the league and the club, fouls off too, and then checking, tentative, a big man, off balance, he pops a soft liner to the first baseman. It is suddenly darker and later. And the announcer doing the game coast to coast, the New Yorker who works for a New York television station, sounds relieved. His little world, well-lit, hot-combed, split-second-timed, has no capacity to absorb this much gritty, grainy, contrary reality. 
Cox swings a bat, stretches his long arm, bends his back. The rookie from Pawtucket who broke in two weeks ago with a record six straight hits. The kid drafted ahead of Freddie Lynn. Rangy, smooth, cool. The count runs two and two, and Cox swings. And the ball beginning toward the mound, and then in a jaunty wayward dance, skips past Bryles, fainting to the right, skimming the last of the grass, finding the dirt, moving now like some small, purposeful marine creature negotiating the green deep, easily avoiding the jagged rock of second base and traveling steady and straight now out into the dark, silent recesses of center field. <laughs> well, the aisles are jammed, the place is on its feet, the wrappers, the program, the Coke cups and peanut shells, the detritus of an afternoon, the anxieties, the things that have to be done tomorrow, the regrets about yesterday, the accumulation of a summer, all forgotten, while hope, the anchor, bites and takes hold, where a moment before it had seemed we would be swept out with the tide, Rice is up. Rice, who Aaron had said was the only one he'd seen with the ability to break his records. Rice, the best clutch hitter on the club with the best slugging percentage in the league. Rice, so quick and strong, he once checked his swing halfway through and snapped the bat in two. Rice, the hammer of God, sent to scourge the Yankees. <laughs> the sound was overwhelming. Fathers pounded their sons in the back, cars pulled off the road, households froze. New England exulted in its blessedness and roared its thanks for all good things for rice and for a summer stretching halfway through October. Bryles threw, rice swung, and it was over. One pitch, fly to center, and it stopped. Summer died in New England, and like rain sliding off a roof, the crowd slipped out of Fenway quickly, with only a steady murmur of concern for the drive ahead remaining of the roar. Dame mutability had turned the seasons and translated hope to memory once again. And once again, she had used baseball, our best invention to stay change, to bring change on. That is why it breaks my heart, that game. Not because in New York they could win because Boston lost. In that, there's a rough justice and a reminder to the Yankees of how slight and fragile are the circumstances that exalt one group of human beings over another. It breaks my heart because it was meant to. Because it was meant to foster in me again the illusion that there was something abiding. Some pattern and some impulse that could come together to make a reality that would resist the corrosion. And because after it had fostered again that most hungered for illusion, the game was meant to stop and betray precisely what it promised. Now, of course there are those who learn after the first few times. <laughs> they grow out of sports. And there are others who are born with the wisdom to know that nothing lasts. These are the truly tough among us the ones who can live without illusion or without even the hope of illusion. But I am not that grown-up or up-to-date. I am a simpler creature, tied to more primitive patterns and cycles. I need to think something lasts forever. And it might as well be that state of being that is a game. It might as well be that in a green field in the sun. Thank you.